Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. For nine days in the summer of 64, that's a long time ago, uh, a huge fire raged throughout the city of Rome. For nine days, flames spread rapidly through the city's narrow streets. The wooden structures that existed that held the city up were all burned to the ground. Because of his well-known desire to refurbish the city of Rome, by any means necessary, the emperor at the time, Nero, was believed to start the fire. And that fire that was watched from different towers, that fire, as that fire swept through the streets, Roman troops stopped people from extinguishing the fire and stopped people and even started new fires themselves. The Romans, the citizens of the city at the time, they were demoralized because for many of them, they lost everything they had. And more importantly, for the the culture as a whole, the culture really took a shot. This was supposed to be Rome. This was supposed to be the place of major intellect. This was supposed to be the power broker of the world of the day. And the people were furious. The emperor Nero, he he actually delivered the focus away from himself. It's a historical fact. You can go and you can read how the different, different political pundits of the day, they began to spin the narrative, where it actually wasn't Nero who started the fire, but blame began to fall to Christians. And you could go read in those same history books, you would see that it was Christians that was act- they were actually risking their lives to pull other people from the flames. It was Christians that were actually running into the fire while the emperor of the day was starting them and preventing people from putting them out. Unbelievers falsely reported that Christians consumed the flesh of their Savior and they consumed His blood. Unbelievers, they would look at the church and they would say, these people are so strange. When they see each other, even if it's only been a few days, they they give each other these, these like, little pecks on the cheek and they tell each other, I love you, how have you been? Romans viewed Christianity as this hard to understand part of Judaism. And with the increasing anti-Semitism that was coming up during those days, the populace was easily easily adopted an anti-Christian attitude as well. The old Christianity also caused stress within families when one spouse, particularly women chose to believe and the other spouse did not. To follow the burning of Rome, Nero capitalized on the anti-Christian sentiment of the day and he punished Christians. Emperor Nero is famous for taking Christians, for dipping them in vats of tar while they were still alive, 
hanging them throughout the streets of the new city and saying to people far and wide, behold, the light of the world. Now the Apostle Peter, who wrote what Andrew just read for us this afternoon, he likely wrote the words we get to read just before Nero's persecution began. And we can learn so much about the text itself, but there is a lesson in and of the historical delivery of these words to Christians who would need to hear them. You can hear what's given as words of comfort to help Christians make sense. Like, how, how do I live as a Christian? How do, I, how do I follow the way of Jesus in a world that doesn't? But you can also hear the Holy Spirit preparing the church for a persecution that they were about to enter into. Now today, uh, we don't have an emperor named Nero right here in Rome. We are in a very cosmopolitan, a very pluralistic city of London. Today, Christians aren't being dipped in vats of tar, hung up and down the mow, where the one in the seat of power says, look, the light of the world. But we do live in a world that does not agree with the way of Jesus. And the hostility that we may endure for our faith is similar to what these Christians were having to endure for theirs. Hostility where they were made fun of, where they were marginalized, where they perhaps some of them weren't promoted within their companies because of the views that they chose to remain fast to. So we can receive the words of this text as encouragements to us. It's another word and a long string of words we've had in this last season, isn't it, Redeemer? I mean, considering suffering from the book of Job, then into the different ways that we can suffer and, and struggle to express ourselves through the life of our emotions. Well, here we are again in 1 Peter with another word on suffering. The Old Testament has a refrain. It echoes every couple of chapters. You can either hear it out loud or you can hear it implied. Why do the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer? It's a major question that the Bible continues to ask. And listen, we should, we, should, we should be honest about our own wrestling with that question as well. Why is it that suffering exists in the world? But specifically, like if suffering has to exist in the world, why is it that God's people suffer so much? I mean, surely like, once people believe in Jesus and they have faith in God and their sins are removed, shouldn't we expect that to be the end of Christian suffering? No, for many people who choose to follow Jesus, that's actually the beginning of a whole lot of pain. And I want you to be able to be mindful in your own life and in your own story and in your own family and your own community the different ways, not just that suffering exists, but here specifically in the direction of this text, why Christian suffering exists. Let's get a look at the ch chapter as a whole. We'll get a running start, and then we'll be able to hit verse 12 with some pace. Um, check it out. Back up to, to verse 1. Looking at the chapter as a whole, the big idea is that Christ has suffered. Christ is returning. God is faithful. There's these three main truths that outline the chapter. I want you to be able to see them because you're going to need them when we get to verse 12. First, notice in verses 1 through 6, beautiful truth that Christ has suffered. 
Since Jesus Christ has suffered in the flesh, Christians now can have a changed mind, a changed motive, and a changed manner, a changed way of life. And it's only possible by having hope in Christ. That's what you see in the first six verses. Verses 7 to 11, they teach that Christ is returning. So not only did He come here and did He suffer the pain and the penalty of our sins, He's coming back to fully restore this beautiful world that He made. So because the end is coming, verses 7 to 11 teach that Christians should, we should prepare our hearts. All of these commands, they culminate in the reason for the sake of your prayers. And we should also prepare our church by serving and using our gifts to build up the body. That's how we respond to the fact that Jesus is coming back. Then what we see right here, the the root of Peter's reasoning is based on these two twin towers. One, that Christ has suffered for our sins, and two, that He is returning. So then in verses 12 and 19, we can take heart. When God allows us to still suffer today, we can take heart. Specifically, through these four ways that you see outlined for you in the handout that you were given. Christians today, knowing that Christ has suffered, knowing that Christ is returning, Christians today, we can now, we can expect suffering, we can exult in our suffering, we can choose to worship God in the midst of our suffering, we can evaluate suffering, and we can entrust our suffering to God. I want to just tell you at the, the outset, yes, it's, it's focused on, on suffering. It's focused on a very specific type of suffering. It's focused on the type of suffering when you choose to live out the way of Jesus in a world that wants nothing to do with Him. The, the ways that people look at you, the ways that people talk to you, the ways that you're marginalized to your face and behind your back, that specific type of suffering is what the author calls us to here. Yet as we focus on that particular type of suffering, as we develop a a way to detect the rhythms and the ways of our Father towards us and allowing us to go through that specific type of suffering, there's actually help for understanding the different sorts of suffering that the Lord allows us to endure as well. Okay? So this is, uh, look, it might feel a bit heavy, it might feel weighty for us today, but, but it's, it's one we need. Because across this flock today, people are standing for Jesus in a world that doesn't want anything to do with Him. People are being made fun of for being Christians in this community, and you need encouragement right now on the spot. In different ways, we are feeling the weight of suffering Because we're trying to share the gospel with people who do not want to believe the gospel. And your heart needs to be encouraged and comforted. It needs to be lifted to God. You need perspective so you can understand what God's doing in your life right now. And maybe across this room, for those of us that maybe maybe we haven't been as, as bright, we haven't been as vocal as we're capable of for the way of Jesus, maybe we can find some encouragement, some fuel to speak up and to live it out because we know these things are true as well, yeah? So I think it applies to each and every one of us across the room. So let's just get to it. Uh, You see right there in verse 12, the the first thing we're told to do is that Christians should expect suffering. And he begins by using the word beloved. 
Because Peter here is showing his motivation for writing to them. His motivation is genuine love. And I love that Peter shows himself what an, shows us what an elder ought to be like. Because he first he helps people prepare their hearts for suffering, and then he teaches on who and what an elder is supposed to be, beginning in chapter 5, verse 1. He actually models for us, and then he actually tells us what he just modeled. A good elder in God's church wants to prepare people for the inevitability of suffering. And a good elder in God's church wants to shepherd people through the reality of suffering when it comes. So Peter writes because he loves. And Peter calls suffering a fiery trial. I was struck this last week thinking about the history, thinking about the, how, how, how Nero, what he was going to do after this word was received and after people had this and they had an opportunity to read it. Nero writing to people saying, I know you're in a fiery trial right now. Not even knowing the, the fiery trial they would actually be put through in years time. Peter doesn't sugarcoat the reality of Christian suffering. And if you're suffering for Christ this afternoon, then you can actually take great heart that nowhere does the Bible make light of the fact of Christian suffering. Christian suffering may endure for a long season. It may be but for a moment, or it might actually take your life in the end. But nowhere does the Bible downplay the magnitude of human suffering, specifically Christian suffering. And we should expect it. We should expect it because in John 15, verse 18, we, we learned that the world hated Jesus first. And Jesus spent a whole lot of time looking at His people and saying, listen, the, the servant's not going to have it any better than the Master. We should expect it. We should expect it because Paul had to write to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 and say, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We should expect this. The original Greek word given here, don't be surprised or don't be astonished, refers to the novelty of something. So when it comes up in our lives, believers, according to this text, we should actually never be shocked by persecution. Later in the verse, Peter uses these related nouns uh, referring to strange things. Yeah? Now, a few of us are actually watching the latest episodes of Strange Things right now. He's talking about some, some really difficult things that were strange. But it, but it could also be rendered a surprising thing. So don't, don't count it a surprise when God calls on you to suffer. Peter draws a double em emphasis in this one verse. You get this word, a fiery trial or a fiery ordeal. It portrays an experience of persecution figuratively. Not one where you know the, the walk down the high street from the bus stop every day is easy. I mean, because you've chosen to post up at the bus stop and tell people about Jesus or you've chosen to share Jesus with somebody you constantly see on your bus. You know what it is when people start to ice you out across the street before you get there so they don't have to encounter you. You know what it was like to intentionally have your neighbors around? 
you spent some good time with them, you genuinely got to know them, and you genuinely shared what's important to them, to you, to them. Jesus has changed my life. Like his church is this incredible community that's doing stuff in the world. And your neighbors have a way of kind of switching the blinds closed and pushing the door shut whenever you walk by again. Peter's writing to people who are living out the way of Jesus. He's like, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when this happens. And he draws our attention, not at ourselves, not to our particular pain points. He draws our attention to Jesus. And he helps us to think about Jesus. How was Jesus treated? Jesus was the help. He was the hope. He was the healing of the world. How was He treated? How was He received? Now, if you're in our midst this afternoon, like this is obviously like a word delivered like to the church and for the church. And if you're here today and you do not believe in Jesus Christ, if you would say like, yeah, you're a bit unbelieving about what we're talking about today, then I want you to be able to hear some themes running through the background of this. Because the purifying fire that you see in verse 12 is contrasted with a consuming fire that will eventually make its way through the world. And Paul, he tips us off to that in chapter 4, verse 1 at the top of the chapter. So what should we do? We should expect it. We're living out for Jesus. We should expect it. A reason for suffering is given here, and it's to test us. And Peter's not alone in this. He speaks with the Apostle Paul in Romans 5.3, 2 Corinthians 1.10, 2 Timothy 3.11. And he speaks with the half-brother of Jesus, James chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. You know, Jesus mentioned seeds that fell on rocky soil. They sprang up quickly, and immediately they were burned. Matthew 13, verses 5 and 6. The verbs translated here to, to fall by chance calls for Christians to understand our experiences of unjust suffering for Christ we can see that they are not accidental, but they are inevitable. If we choose to be true to the message of the Gospel, true to points of sin, salvation, and judgment, then we too will suffer. And when we suffer, we don't have to be surprised. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verses 36 and 38, he reminds us that while many people accomplished many awesome things in the world by faith, he goes on to tell us what some also accomplished by faith as well, starting in verse 36. He says some faced jeers and flogging by faith. Yes, some were wrapped up in chains and imprisoned by faith. Some were put to death by stoning. Some that had faith were sawn in two. Some who had faith were killed with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. And in verse 38, the it tells us that the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And they carried that out by faith. They weren't doing it wrong. They were living true to the way of Jesus. And for some... That ending glorifies God. Wonderfully, though, for Peter, Peter reminds us that painful suffering has a purpose. It comes to us to test us, 
Christian suffering then is not accidental. It has a point. It is not random, and it is not outside of God's sovereign control. And friend, when you suffer, as some of you are feeling the weight of suffering for Christ right now, you walked into this room, and while other people around you, they seem pretty unaffected because they haven't lived it out this week, they haven't spoken of it this week, you feel very affected today. You can know that God does not waste your suffering. And in the midst of your suffering, you don't have to waste it either. He is with you. He is with you in the midst of your pain. There is not a single atom in this whole universe that flies around outside of His control. And the fact that He is allowing you to go through something today means that He loves you and He has purposes for you in the midst of it. So let me say this. If if we don't develop a robust theology of Christian suffering that is informed by all the bits of Scripture, then when we are suffering, not only will we be surprised by it, but in the midst of Christian suffering, we are likely to ask the wrong questions. We are likely to give the wrong answers. We are likely to feel emotionally confused whenever we suffer. And we may assume that God has abandoned us. or We may assume that God is for some reason punishing us. And that could cause us to become angry or bitter towards God. So let's not grow anxious. Let's not grow despondent in our circumstances. Let's, let's take his cue and let's expect it. Don't worry, the next three points go, quick, go, go quicker than that one. Um, I was trying to alliterate, so I chose the word exult. Yeah? Um, it's legit, I promise. You can, you can plug it into Google. But it refers to worshiping, right? So let's choose to worship in the midst of our suffering. In verses 13 and 14, we learn that when we have a theology of Christian suffering informed by the whole Bible, we'll be able to rejoice in so far as we are in the sufferings of Jesus. So Peter's saying it's actually a privilege. It is a privilege to stand for Jesus and for somebody to make fun of you to your face. Peter says that's a privilege. That is a privilege. That is something that everybody does not actually have access to. That is a privilege. Because our joy, it flows from the knowledge of God's goodness. Our joy is able to bubble up in in us, even in the midst of being persecuted, because we know we're being true to Jesus. The end of suffering will not be fear. The end of suffering will not be dread. But the end of suffering will be rejoicing as we see what God intended all along and allowing us to be persecuted because we chose to follow in the steps of Jesus. And if we think that our suffering is, a, is, is some result of blind chance, if we think this is some random collision of atoms outside of the will of God, then we should be pitied. However, we can know that our pain actually comes to us from our Heavenly Father. He has purposes to actually test our faith and to refine our character. It's the very heart of Christianity. So we know as we're allowed to go into sufferings, we're actually able to worship God through it. When you share the gospel with somebody and somebody gives you a hard time or somebody just seems to ice you down because of it, you are actually able to worship God. You're actually able to say things like, God, thank you. Thank you for giving me just a sliver of a taste of how much my King and Savior Jesus loves me. If He was willing to come, He didn't deserve any of this. And if He was willing to come, 
And if He was willing to be made fun of for me, thank you. It's, it's there that we actually, when we actually think about how hope, help, and healing made their way into the world, we can actually worship God when things are hard. We think about how salvation made its way into the world. It, it wasn't by Jesus like sitting in some ivory tower writing these like incredible words on a page and just printing them out and sending them around the world and people's lives were getting changed. It's not how change came to the world. No, change came to the world as Jesus was persecuted, as Jesus was rejected, as Jesus was made fun of, as Jesus was insulted, as Jesus was beaten, as Jesus went to a cross, as Jesus willingly laid His life down on a cross beam, and Jesus allowed Himself to get hammered, healing was released into the world. I gotta be real with you. A lot in this last season, I've been, I've, I've been wanting like healing to like move through my life, move through my family, move through this community in different ways. And I've had to face up to the fact that He chooses suffering. He chooses suffering. So if you're suffering today, hopefully you can hear reasons to rejoice. And He counts it worthy for you to get to follow in the very steps of Jesus. And you can know a piece of what Jesus knew as you're faithful to Him. Third thing we see here is that we're told yet we, whenever we suffer, we should actually use that as an opportunity to evaluate. Number three, we, we have to evaluate our suffering as well. Because not all suffering is suffering for being a Christian. Um, we, we've considered this truth a couple of times over the last few months. There, there are three ways to suffer. You can, you can suffer for doing right. You can suffer for doing wrong. And you can suffer because you just suffer. But verses 15 and 18, they lead us to have to consider, if you're suffering right now, why? Because it's possible you're suffering for doing wrong. And it's possible you're suffering for doing right. So suffering on behalf of Christ is different than suffering in some general sense. If someone were a murderer or someone were a thief, both capital crimes in the ancient world, well, they shouldn't complain when they're executed. You've done wrong. You're guilty. Yet the refrain from the Old Testament, why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? Now we have to evaluate. So in verse 17, we see this Old Testament house of God was a reference to the temple. And if you're into looking things up in the next week throughout your Bible, you'd want to scribble out Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, because Peter clearly has that in view as he's writing here. And he's writing for the church. Listen, if you feel like you're on the fringe of this community, like you're not all the way in, but you're kind of hanging on the fringe of this right now, specifically for you, somehow... Christian suffering now in this world, it plays a part in the eventual judgment of this world. And part of what God is doing right here and now in allowing people to suffer is God is proving up His body. You see, suffering is allowed to make its way into communities. So the community and a watching world can get a sense. So who's really following Jesus? 
And as suffering comes through, it's, it's a moment to evaluate. When the pain hits, do I find myself falling in or falling out? Because part of what Malachi is talking about in chapter 3, when judgment makes its way through the world, it actually begins in the house of God. The house of God gets judged first. Who's in and who's out is going to be made known here. And it moves from here throughout the world. So if you're here this afternoon and you feel like you're on the edge of this community, hear God reaching out to you in the midst of another word on suffering. Maybe God is actually appealing to you and reaching out to you. Encouraging you to, to fold in and not to fall out. So God's appearing in the end then will be a refining process. And what God is already doing in these days is He's purifying His people. Making us ready for that refining process in the end. And we have to evaluate. So simply, like the point of application for us across the room is like if you're in a time of suffering, you have to evaluate. And we got to press into this because the hardest time to believe in God, the hardest time to believe that God is faithful is when His hand is actually heavy on your back. It's in those moments we have to check in and we have to lean in. And there's good news. Though we suffer, the pain may be excruciating, but it's only for a moment. And when we suffer, that moment is not worth being compared with the glory that will be revealed in eternity through the very One who's preparing it for us. So here's some good news to really finish this thing up with in verse 19. James, you come on up here. Help us start praying and thinking about this and we'll begin to close. What we learn is that we can actually entrust our suffering to God. We're not left with a list of like points this afternoon that when I choose to stand for Jesus, here's a few E's to be about one that barely worked. Exult, what? No. Like, you can actually hang into this and you can, you can see from verse 19 that the author would have us in our times of trusting, of suffering, to entrust those to God. Think about what you see in verse 19. Knowing that there is a merciful purpose of the heavenly fa- from your heavenly Father in the midst of your suffering, we can now commit everything in our lives to Him, including our sufferings. Because Jesus Christ committed Himself fully to the Father's will. And we're now told to follow in the steps of Jesus all the way through. So think about this as you begin to kind of conclude these these reflections on suffering. Just think about this. Jesus suffered according to the Father's will. And although the Father wills that you and I will suffer for a different purpose, that suffering is not something away from His glory. That suffering is actually for His glory. The Father is worthy that you and I should be allowed to go through slivers of what Jesus endured And to remain faithful to Him as Jesus helps us be faithful. And to choose to say that God is is enough and God is worth it in the end. And I appreciate that some of these words, they might just sound foreign to some of us today. Some of us are sitting in the room and we're thinking, man, we're just going on about suffering for being a Christian. There's a chance that some of this, it just seems far off. 
it seems like it's not needed. I tell you in love, could it be that it could actually come from a place where we are actually not speaking of Jesus enough? Could it come from a place where we're not living out the very lifestyle of Jesus in our relationships and in this community? Could that be the reason these words seem so foreign to some of us today? Beloved, I come to you to say for those of us under the weight of this reality today, we cannot judge the final goodness and power of God until we see the new heavens and earth. Because a day is coming when pain will be exiled and we won't be treated as exiles. A day is coming when suffering will be vanquished. A day is coming when death will be forever banished. And we won't be on the outside. We'll be on the end. And we'll have the God that we were looking to to get us through all the way across. So the conclusion of this matter is that we can trust God because He is completely worthy of our trust. We can be faithful to this God and we can commit our way to Him. So in verse 19, that the, the word to, to commit, it's a, today it's a banking term. But as best as we understand, they, they didn't have banks back in the day. If you were going on a, a trip to another town, um, you kind of just had your stuff in like the corner of whatever room you were living in. And you actually had to choose who was going to look after your stuff while you went to another town. So what you do is you look around the community that you were in. You'd find whoever seemed to have the most integrity, whoever would look after your stuff as if they were you, and you would actually give them your stuff so you could go away on a trip. It's the same word that we have here. It's, a, it's actually a banking term for us today. God's grace appears to us as God has looked around this world and He said, who can I entrust my gospel to? And if you're here today and you've been saved by His grace, it's you. You are the one that He's looked at and He's chosen to trust His gospel to. So us who have the gospel, us who already know how much we're loved and how much we're trusted by the Father, where do we go when we're carrying these heavy, these hot sufferings in our lives? We can entrust them to our Father. The word trust is the same thing that Jesus did in the garden and on the cross. The, the word that we're told to do to God in the midst of these heavy, hot sufferings, we're told to entrust those to God. It's the very word that Jesus did on the cross as Jesus was suffering for the Father so healing and hope and help could be released into the world. Jesus said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. So we follow in his steps. Finally, the time you see creator mentioned here it's the only time God is referred to as creator in the entire New Testament. You see it right there in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. And the creator God is sovereign over all things. He is faithful over all things. Therefore, that allows us to live as exiles without surprise and without despair. And we can be joy-filled. We can be God-glorifying. We can be other-world-directing in the midst of our pain. Because we know the one who entrusted his soul to the Father. He can lead us to do the same. 
He can be trusted because He is faithful. And how do we know He's faithful? We look at the cross. So Christian, right now, on the spot this afternoon, look to the cross. Think about Jesus giving His very life for you. Think about Jesus entrusting His soul to the Father even though death was moments away. Allow His model to become your lifestyle. And if you're here this afternoon and you know you're, you're on the outside of this listening in, you know a heap load about suffering, but not for being a Christian, but for other ways. Hear the warning of this text. Yeah, the church is going to be purified as the world's preparing to be judged. Get on the outside of that judgment. Come into the flock and into the fold of God. Because yes, God will heat up the lives of His people only to purify them. Escape the real judgment that is to come. Believe in this one who went to the cross. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in Him. And He will help you be faithful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you administer to us as we have a, a few minutes to sit here to pray, to sing, to think about you. Father, we pray that you'd help us to evaluate the presence of suffering or even the absence of suffering in our lives. Father, we pray that you would help us to entrust our very souls to you in a general sense, but these specific times when we, you allow us to go through hot trials because we've chosen to be faithful to you. So Father, we just want to take a moment to sit in your presence to allow you to speak to our hearts. We in the safety and security of this moment with you, surrounded by people that love you and love us, we pray that you would minister to us and you would speak to us. So friends, just take a moment, a moment of prayer. And then James and